If you'll turn in your Bibles, please, to John chapter 1. This is our concluding message in John chapter 1. It's been a long time coming, and it's only gaining momentum. As we pull into where God, God through the Apostle John, is showing Jesus Christ is God. And he's doing it by testimony. He's doing it by people who Jesus has changed their life in a way that only God can change their life. And we'll see that it's, he does it by signs, things that Jesus Christ does that only God can do. That is what, that's what John's purpose is. So we're going to read starting in verse 32, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. This is God's word. And John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day after John stood, and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwelleth thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came. And saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which had heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas which is by interpretation a stone. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can there be anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip saith to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he said unto him, Verily, verily, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. We see in this passage five men who came to Jesus, and every one of them came in a slightly different way. 
When the Holy Spirit brings you to Christ, he does it according to who you are. He does it according to your personality. He does it according to your past. He does it according to the things that you were taught or not taught. He does it according to the way that you would respond because he is winning you. There is no suitor like Jesus Christ. There is none that will make you love him like Jesus will make you love him. So we see John the Baptist was first. And John the Baptist, when he came to the Lord, he came to the Lord by direct divine intervention or revelation. God told him, Jesus is the one that is the Son of God because I am going to descend the Spirit of God on him and he's going to to stay. He'll remain on him. And John was watching and watched and the Holy Spirit of God came and descended like a dove and remained upon Jesus. And at that moment, John knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And from then on, he pronounced him. This is the Son of God. This is the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. God did it to him. He revealed it to him. Nobody taught him. He didn't ask someone's advice. God showed him that Jesus Christ was, was, was the Messiah. Now, Andrew was John's disciple. And we saw this last week. Andrew was brought to, to Jesus because John was his minister, John was John the Baptist was the one he was following. Andrew was John's disciple. And, and finally, after two times, John the Baptist pointed at Jesus and said, follow him. And Andrew and the apostle John that wrote this, this gospel stopped following John the Baptist and started following Jesus. Now that's interesting. So we have two different ways of coming so far. John the Baptist was directly, God told him that, it was, it, that Jesus was the Son of God. And Andrew was pointed there by his trusted uh, mentor, that he said, he is the one that you have to trust. Now, it's interesting that when Andrew started following, he didn't even know why he was following. He just knew that that's what he was doing. And Jesus very, just winsomely brings him in, and they just hang out and talk and talk, and it changes Andrew's life. The very next day, Andrew runs and gets his brother, who is Simon. And Simon comes, and so now we see a third way that people come to the Lord. He was brought by someone else, by a family member. He was led to Jesus by someone in his own family, which happens every day, every single day. Because who else would you trust to tell you something true? The person who would hit you as soon as look at you, the person who would insult you rather than say something nice about you, when they are telling you something
wounds, you tend to listen. For the rest of your life, you will listen to, to your family. And he brought Peter. And Jesus immediately wasn't, it wasn't a third wheel. Jesus was in charge of the conversation. It speaks directly to Peter and changes Peter's life. Then we see Philip. They go from the, from the Jordan River where John was baptizing, and they go north back up to Galilee. And he goes directly to a man in Galilee, and he points directly at him and says with no introduction, follow me. Now, that's interesting. Immediately when I read that, I go, ooh, what kind of a personality was Philip? What kind of a person was Philip that he would respond by a direct command? Here's a person out of nowhere. Follow me. And there was something in him that made Philip drop what he was doing and go straight and follow Jesus. Totally different way of coming to the Lord. Jesus did that. And then Philip brought Nathaniel. So we're going to see that he was brought by a friend. Every way that you come to the Lord, whatever way you come to the Lord, come to the Lord. But God does it because God is a gentleman of all the, of, of, there's no other gentleman than God. God does, doesn't have cookie cutters ways of doing things. He individually meets your need. He, he knows you. And we're going to see that that's what Nathaniel finds out, that God knows him. So when we see that, that different people have different ways of coming to the Lord, um, it normally, if you're going to say the entire human race, most of the time, people are very opposed to the gospel. And when you are sharing the gospel, you're sharing, you're going, it's an uphill climb because people don't want the gospel. They don't want a king. They want to be their own king. And so in some ways, that hard shell has to be cracked. And if God is working in their life, if you remember, Jesus said, the stones on the ground can be turned into the sons of Abraham. And that's a great comfort to me, that God is able to take the, the harshest, meanest guy and make him into an absolutely beautiful servant and son of God. It's so possible. It doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit is so capable of, doing, of taking anything and making anything out of it. He doesn't have to have a good, good starting materials. He made the universe out of nothing. He spoke it into existence, and he can do that with us. He can convince you that you need him, and he can convince you that Jesus is where to run. Now, that is an amazing thing. So you have the Apostle Paul, who had to be blinded, had to be stopped in his tract and blinded, and it was like the scales fell out of his eyes before he could then see. But then you have the other, the, many of the common people, this was in the end of Mark, it said many of the common people um, heard him with gladness. That means that people are different. We're wicked sinners, but not everybody is wicked in the same ways. And God does not approach us in the same ways. Why do we preach to our children? We preach to our children because as children, they've not lived long enough to get a hard heart. As children, they haven't lived long enough to be strangled with riches and cares. They're not trying to earn a living. They're not, they're not trying to cheat in order to get something. You know that there's sin there because you've met children, okay? But every, you, you preach while that they're still not opposed to the gospel. 
to have a child and you tell them about it, the God of love and you tell them that they're to repent of their sins, they're tender and soft and malleable. You, you see a tree carved into some kind of a shape. You did it when it was a sapling. You didn't do it when it was a live oak. You don't bend branches of oak trees, but you incline an oak tree by bending a sapling, and it'll grow in any way that you want it to. You train up a child in the way he should go, and in when he is old, he'll not depart from it. That's why we, that's why we teach our children. Is it possible that, that children of godly people will never come to the Lord? Absolutely, but they're more likely to come to the Lord when you teach the gospel to them, and then they can respond to it while they're still tender rather than having to then plow that ground, that hard, stony path that has to now be treated because before a plant can grow, you have to plow it, and then you have to till it. There's a lot of work that goes into planting. There's a miracle. You put a seed in the ground, and it will turn into a plant, and it's miraculous. God is making it move, but God prepares the soil the same as anybody else. And he prepares the soil in one way or another based upon the soil. And that gives me great comfort. It gives me great comfort that there are people that are not opposed to the gospel. There are people in their sin that if they were to die, they would die in their sin. But they're not opposed. They, they, they have a, an interest in the things of God. They are prepared in such a way that when you meet them... They're not that far. They're, they're infinitely far, but they're one step away from trusting the Lord in real salvation. And so here we see Nathaniel, different from the rest, completely different from the rest, because in Nathaniel we see an Old Testament saint. Now that's interesting because we have no more Old Testament saints. This is a special point in time. If you remember that Jesus Christ did not just ascend out of heaven on a cloud, he was announced for centuries. He was prepared for. God worked in the life of Israel, not so that Israel only would be blessed, but so that the world would be blessed. And he did it by teaching all of us what to expect. The, the nation of Israel should have known when their king came to them. But we already saw in John 1, that he came to his own and to his own people and his own place, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, gave him the authority to become the children of God. That is, that is very interesting. That means that there were people that were ready for the gospel. Ready. And they were prepared because God had prepared them for thousands of years. When Jesus was eight days old and they bring him to the, to the temple... Simeon, this old man, took the baby away from his parents and put him to his chest and said, now your servant can depart in peace because I've seen the Lord's Messiah. You, he knew, he was waiting. It told, the Bible said he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He prayed day and night, God, I want to see your deliverer. I want you, would you please come to us? He, he was trusting the God the way that Old Testament saints trusted him, not because that he knew who the Savior was, because he didn't. He knew that he needed God, and God would be the one that would take care of him. And he was trusting God the way that, that, that they were prepared to trust him. He was a righteous man. 
He was saved by the blood of Calvary's cross before he met the Savior. And right after he gave him back to his parents, a little old lady came and just rejoiced in her heart because she had been in the, in the temple for years fasting every day, waiting for God's Messiah, and saw it with her eyes and delighted and joyed. And we meet here Nathaniel. And Nathaniel is like that. He was ready. Now, why do you think Philip, of all of his acquaintance, went and got Nathaniel? It's because Nathaniel was ready. He wanted the Messiah. And when Philip was convinced that we had him, that we saw him, he went to Nathaniel with what Nathaniel would know, and that was, we have met the one that Moses preached about. The Messiah that we've been waiting for for centuries, we know who he is. Now, Philip bumbles. Have you ever bumbled sharing the gospel? Well, if I open my mouth, I bumble when I share the gospel. I say it backwards. I say it wrong. I can't do it. I can't talk. My tongue goes dry. And Philip said what he knew. He said, we have found the Messiah who Moses wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. But what he didn't realize is he... God had directly called him. Jesus said, follow me. Not because he was smart, not because he knew much. Philip was a bumbler. We already talked about Philip last week. He was a bumble. Oh, what a great work he did. He was a bumble that God worked in his life. And when he shared the gospel, he did it wrong. He said, we found the one Moses talked about, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Now you have to remember, Nathaniel is from Cana in Galilee. We're going to see in the next chapter, there's a wedding at Cana. The very first of his miracles, his signs, was done at Cana. And so Cana is right here. And four miles away is Nazareth. Four miles. Closer than Craigsville to Cowan. Okay? Right down the street. And he said, Jesus of Nazareth, our Messiah. Now the problem with talking to a to a person who had studied his Bible his whole life, waiting for God's Messiah, is that he knew where to look. He knew his Bible, and his Bible did not tell him that the Messiah was coming from Nazareth. He knew that the Messiah was going to come from Bethlehem and that he would be David's heir. He knew that. And so if Philip would have come to him and said, we found the Messiah, Jesus, son of David, from Bethlehem, right now, he would have been right now. Where? Because he knew that that's who he was looking for. But Philip in his love, Philip in his not quite sure what was going on, what he was told. Do you see, Philip was just brand new. He didn't, have, he didn't even know Jesus very well. He had only met him yesterday. And as he brought people to him, he knew what people said. He's from Nazareth. He grew up right down the street. He's a neighbor of ours. The Messiah, you know. Joseph, the carpenter's son. And it, what it did, it, it confused Nathaniel. It, it made him prejudice because he said, Nazareth? What good could come out of Nazareth? Because not only was he jibing at his next-door neighbor, I'm sure they played basketball together, okay? I was like, no way. God's not going to pick Nazareth to be the place where the Messiah comes from. We whooped them last year. So instead, he just said, it can't be true. 
And Philip, instead of arguing with him, did what Jesus did. He took a, he took a page out of Jesus' playbook. And if you remember when Andrew didn't know what to say, and Jesus said, Why, what, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? And Andrew's like, I don't know. Where do you live? And Jesus just said, come and see. Now that's beautiful. That's evangelism. That's evangelism. You're not, you don't need a PhD in theology. In fact, that probably will mean that you have no idea what you're talking about. Okay? I, seminary was where good Christians go to die often. Okay? I, know, I know that it's a, wonderful, it's a wonderful opportunity for a seeking soul, but it's also a way awful way for people to get, to get confused as you have a cacophony of voices that all want to say what God is. And God's the teacher, and God can teach you in, in, all the way to the end, and he will. But Philip just didn't know enough yet. He was still brand new, and he prejudiced Nathaniel. But instead of saying, hey, of course he's from Nazareth. Yeah, somebody told me. Yes, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. He is the Messiah. Instead, he just said, come and see. He did exactly what Jesus did. And the, the thing about Nathaniel is that his heart was right. He was ready, and he wanted to at least investigate. He was open. And even though he had prejudice, he didn't, that prejudice did not stop him. There is not a person on the planet that do not have prejudice against the gospel. Every one of us did. Everyone you, that you will ever talk to will. Where the prejudices come from? From what people told them, what they gather on television, what they get out of memes. Can you imagine the poor people who get their theology off of Facebook? Like, what does even that mean? And how confused they must be. And how, and, you know, my grandma was a this or a that, and, and I don't know, and and so you just, suddenly you're in your little camps. You're in your little theological camps. You have to remember, the Lord of heaven and earth have godly Baptists, even though there's a lot of us that aren't. There's godly Methodists. Well, how can that be when Methodism and, and Baptist theology is so distinct from each other? It's because God's God. And God will allow you to come to the Lord. There are godly Presbyterians, godly, who love God with every ounce of their body. There are Pentecostals and Charismatics that love the real Jesus, not their imaginary Jesus, their real Jesus. There are Roman Catholics saved as anybody is saved. The problem is, is that the more confused the gospel becomes, the more veiled it is in human you know, whatever, big dried-out gumball of, of, of human theology, is the gospel is more layered in with other stuff, it becomes harder and harder for a prepared heart to see it. That is why you, you're diligent in your study. You study to show yourself approved, rightly dividing the word of truth. You do it so that you're not a problem to someone else. You want to be clear, and you want to say the right thing. You want to be true about the gospel. And that's why that as you share, come and see is about as good as we get. Because come and see is, this is what's true of me. I, something happened to me. I want to share that with you. Come and investigate. And God is big enough to take care of it from there, really. And an open heart can be converted in a moment. 
And a very smart person can be converted in a moment. And a very, very intellectually, theologically, completely uh, formed person. This is a person who knew his Bible inside and outside. And he, in an instant, responded to Jesus in total faith. In fact, nobody, not even John the Baptist, said what Jesus is as well as Nathaniel. Nathaniel's confession was as strong as we've ever seen. In fact, it's nowhere else in the, in the Gospels anything like it because he was ready to receive it. And when he was a rational person who, as a rational person, was able to then take evidence and weigh out real evidence and say, I understand, and respond with his full heart, with his full mind, with his full will, with his full uh, emotions, all of it together. So you have the, the idea that God works in a person's heart before they come to him. Before they come to him, he was ready when he saw it. Do you remember right at the very beginning of Genesis? It said the earth was without form and void, but the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. He is working when we don't know he's working. He works before we meet him because what he's going to tell Nathaniel means that Jesus saw Nathaniel before Nathaniel saw Jesus. It wasn't a meeting in time. There's no such thing as time in God's economy. God is beyond the ability to think in chronological events. God works in our hearts through everything that touches us through everything that came down to us and everything that we see, everything that we hold on to, what is the stuff you save in your sock drawer is based upon God's wooing of you and cleaning of you and directing you. And then when we see something, we know it. That is the idea that he was ready in advance. It's God's grace that saves a man. It's God's grace working in our hearts that he meets us before we meet him and he works in our heart and he plows that ground to where it's soft and then he tills it to where it's feathery. And then when you lay a seed down, it's, it's a miracle of all miracles, but it's required. It's the first thing required to grow a seed. And that's what's happening. He shined light out of darkness and he did that in our hearts. And here is Philip who just says, come and see, and Nathaniel is an honest enough man that he comes and he investigates. And so this is the Messiah. And then Nathaniel just raises his head, and Jesus speaks first. Now, I think that's interesting. Jesus introduces himself. But before he does, he says something about Nathaniel. So let's look, let's look at this next passage. So we're, we're start, starting in 45, and then we'll go to 51. We're going to go to each verse starting in 45. Let's do 45 and 46 together. Philip finds Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, of Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to them, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Come and see. So he brings him to Jesus. This is verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Israelite indeed, a real Israelite, 
a true Israelite. Now, that is saying something. My goodness, the pact. In, what he's saying is so full because he said the word Israelite. Interesting. Israelite. An Israelite is a son of Israel. Who is Israel? Do you remember who Israel is? Israel was a changed name. We don't meet Israel as Israel. We meet Israel as Jacob. And Jacob's name means supplanter or trickster or shyster. He's a guilely person. Jacob is Mr. Guile of Mr. Guile. And Jesus said, a true Israelite in whom is no guile, that this person is honest, that he's not, he's not manipulating the situation. He's not trying to get something to happen. He's not, he's not making something by trying to hide. He's not being an actor. He's simply being honest, and he's living honestly. Now, that, it's amazing, first of all, that Jesus, his creator, would assess him as this. Here, Brian, this is Jesus. And Jesus said, oh, a West Virginian in whom is no guile. And I would say, I'm sorry, you have the wrong person. Because I've grown up being a guily guy. Like, that's how you stay ahead of everybody else, right? You want people to think one thing when you're something else. That's the way all of us, we have a front that we show the world. This guy had no front. And Jesus said that, and the first word out of his mouth shows that he has no guile. Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? How do you know me? Now, interesting, he didn't, if he was an honest man, and he was, he was honest about being dishonest, he would have said, I'm not that honest. But he simply was a person who was looking for God. He was seeking for God. And he was seeking with when he was told that this is the Messiah, he wanted to know. He investigated fully. Now, he didn't speak first. Jesus spoke first. It's interesting, too. He waited. He was listening. He was watching. He was assessing the, the situation. And Jesus surprised him of all surprises. He had nothing to say about Nazareth. He had nothing to say about Joseph. He had nothing to say about anything. He said, this is a real Israelite the one intended to be what Israel was to be intended to be. These, this is God's people properly prepared so that when their king came, they would know it. Now, that's interesting. He wasn't a Christian yet. He wasn't, but he was dazzled. Somehow, Jesus knew his character. And I can imagine the very first thing he would do would be turn to Philip and say, what did you tell him about me? Like, because I would, how does he have this information that he would know something about me? Not just what I do or what I've done, but who I am. How does he even know? Who, whence knowest thou me? Now, Jesus knocks his socks off. Now, I don't know, when we read this, did you think, what a quick conversion. How easy, like, it almost seemed silly Jesus says something completely out of nowhere, out of the blue sky, and Nathanael immediately responds in full faith. Now that's interesting. That's really interesting. So we have to look at it, okay? This is verse 48. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? And Jesus answered and said to him, 
Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Lightning struck Nathaniel. In that long, it took that long. Jesus, standing in front of him, convinced him that the only way that he said that was that Jesus was the omniscient God. There's no other way. Because something happened under a tree that no one in the Bible has ever recorded. We haven't sliced idea of what happened under that tree. Praise the Lord that he keeps it to himself. This was a secret between Nathaniel and the God who was always watching Nathaniel. Do you remember Hagar? Hagar comes and says, I'm going to name this place, Thou God Seest Me. You are watching me. You know me. You know my downsitting and my uprising. You know everything about me to the, to the inside of my heart. You know what I don't even know about me. And Jesus, in the street, says, uh, Israelite, indeed, a real Israelite, not guilely, not tricky, not Jacoby. In fact, one Bible translation, I laughed. There is an English, uh, English Bible translation that said, uh, Behold, a true, a true Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. Now that's cool. That's so cool. I was just like, I giggled when I saw it. To be, to be an Israelite but not be a Jacob. What does that mean? That's to be a man but not an Adam. That's to be, that is to be what God intended men to be. To, to be ready for what God has, that God says, come to me, and they came. That there's something about this man that, that, um, that Jesus was impressed with. And Jesus said, oh, how do I know you? Before Philip called you, while you were under the tree, I saw. Now, I will not conjecture with you. You have imagination. What went on under the tree? Something important. I have to tell you that. It is something important. Something between Nathaniel and God. Something momentous. Something important. Something, something real. Something that was in his heart that he was worshiping and that God saw. And the only way that he heard what he heard was that it was God who just spoke to him. If you've ever been to church and not heard the preacher talked to you directly and you were convinced that somebody has been gossiping about you because the preacher is directly talking to you, well, you've never been in church. Because, in fact, even as a child, you'll realize that that happens. You, before you're way out of your teens, you'll know that that happens to you all the time because God knows you. And things will come out of the, out of the blue and you know that it was between you and your maker that God is speaking directly to you, and it's not hooky-pooky. It is in God's word meeting your direct situation, and no, nobody's been gossiping about you. Okay? There's nothing worse than people gossiping about you, except that when they don't talk about you at all, that's worse, I guess. But nobody is talking about you. But God knows. He knows your fig tree. Do you have a fig tree? Is it a log in the woods? Is it the cab of your truck? 
Is it your rocking chair? God sees you. Thou God seest me. He knows you. And he can convince you that he knows you. He can convince you. Jesus Christ, for all he knew of Nazareth, son of Joseph, stood there in the street and in two seconds convinced him, completely convinced him, that he was Lord Sabaoth of heaven and earth, the maker of the mountains and the moon. And he said the most unbelievable confession. He said, Thou, Rabbi, Thou, Teacher, are the Son of God. Thou are the King of Israel. And Jesus snickers in delight. He snickers in delight. His God, His Maker, is thrilled with that answer and basically said if you were going to put it in West Virginian oh buddy you ain't seen nothing yet you want to do you want to ascribe deity to me you want to call me son of God you will see me as son of man glorified you want to call me the king of Israel you will see me as the king of angels you will perpetually see me as greater than you ever thought I was. And it's interesting, when you go into the language, suddenly the you changes. When he says, verily, verily, I say to you, first time we'll ever hear this. Ego, ego, amen. Amen. We use amen. It's the idea of a, it's a oath. Jesus uses an oath of certainty. I'm telling you the very truth. And he changes the you so that he's not talking just to Nathaniel. He's talking to all five of his new converts, soon to be millions and millions, including us. And he said, you will see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You will see what Jacob saw. Jacob the trickster. Jacob the guile. Jacob who God loved showed him that every square inch as you're running from your, your brother, knowing that he's going to kill you, as you, every square inch of soil you step your foot on, I'm going to give to your descendants because I'm your God. And he, he's so dead tired running 40 miles in the wilderness that he crashes and a, and a rock is soft as a pillow to an exhausted man. And he lays down on that rock And immediately the heavens open and he sees a ladder touching the earth and ascending all the way into heaven. And angels are descending that ladder and ascending that ladder. There is a spiritual reality beyond what we can see, beyond the edges of this room that you can't see, but it's so true. And Jesus said, really? You're going to attribute deity to me? Wow. Wow. You wait. You're going to see me all the time. By the way, there's another verb tense. You are going to perpetually see me, not just once. You're going to continuously see me as real God. Now, saints of God, look back over your life. Have you seen Jesus 
high and lifted up? Have you seen him as the Son of Man exalted, glorified? Have you seen him as Savior of you and Savior of your children and Savior of this town and Savior of this absolutely wonky country of ours? Then, then he is capable. You attribute the Son of God to him, the King of Israel to him. He will show you way more than that. And it won't end with your life ending. As you exhale for the last time and there's a crack in the back of your throat, you will instantly be in glory and you will begin to learn and you will never stop learning who Jesus Christ is. It will be perpetual amazement and stretching of your mind until eternity burns itself out, which it never will. Because you will never, never be tired of who the greatness of our God is. And Jesus Christ is God's son. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. I wrote something cute at the bottom. I was feeling very poetic. And I just said, when you believe, you believe. That's what I wrote. And then I wrote, the last brush of paint is no more building a house than the first shovel of dirt. I'm going to put that on the refrigerator. God starts working in your heart long before you know him and will never stop. He set his love on you and you see him as what he is and he will dazzle you. He will dazzle you for all time. Amen.